Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 11? John chapter 11. <coughs> My throat's still having problems. I'm not smoking cigars or anything, but my throat gives, still gives me problems, so just hang with me. I like the little kid down here was an on, on all fours that was listening. I think we ought to have our deacons come down on all fours and just stand right here and just, I don't think they'd ever get up, would they, if they ever got down all fours. <clears throat> now, as a, um, this afternoon is the uh, a service for Becky Reeves. The flowers are here for to remember her and her family. So at two o'clock is visitation and <clears throat> two thirty is the service. Also the Elliott family, you want to remember them. I think Frank's um, father passed away and so want to remember that family also. Uh, I think it's appropriate. Every time I come in here, I think about the many people that we have prayed for and send out into the world to face things that the world throws at them. And sometimes the world throws some very difficult things at us. And if we didn't have any hope, if we didn't have any hope, it would be a dark, dark world. And for so many people, that's, that's there. They don't have the hope of Jesus Christ. Uh, John is trying to tell us about... Um, Seven signs that Jesus did. He could have written more, and there were a whole lot more that he could have written about. But uh, from chapter 2 in John to chapter 11, there's a book of signs. That's what scholars call that, and there are seven signs that he shows. What Jesus does, and when we see what he does, we know who he is. And too many people stop at the form of what he does and don't go far enough to say he's the son of God. And he came to save the world. Without his message and life of salvation, then it would be an empty exercise. And certainly when you encourage people, as I have encouraged this week, there's nothing to encourage them with. But thank God that there is God's word that doesn't change. It's <clears throat> there for in season, out of season, for whatever season. And it's there. So John wants to encourage us to receive Christ as our Savior. And he does that through seven signs. So, in honor of God's word, would you stand as we read from John chapter 11? And we'll just do verse 25, which um, is kind of a concentration of, um, of Jesus and his meeting with Martha. And Martha has a kind of reputation of being out front, and she was the kind of person that was out front, and she was. But here... She kind of stands as a steel magnolia in the middle of a uh, hard, hard situation of grief. And one of the hardest places and things that you and I face is the idea of grief. Verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am. And that's seven times he has used that statement. And it comes all the way from uh, Moses asks God, who are you and who would I tell him that you are? And God says to Moses, I am. I am your past. I am your future. I am your present. I am the anastasis. The Greek word means to stand up. I am the resurrection and the life. That's where both comes, both offers are there. I am the resurrection and the life. 
and he that believes in me, or she that believes in me. And the word there, believe, is the idea of pistuo. It has the idea of trust. Trust. And you take a piece of your heart and a piece of your mind, and you place it in his hand. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Hard to grasp that. And whoever lives and believes in me, and this is a double negative, shall never, ever, ever die spiritually. Do you believe this? And the question that Jesus asked today, do you believe that? Have you put it in your trust factor to be very true about that? May God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. Now, would you turn to somebody next to you and tell them who wrote John? Would you do that? Just turn to. This is not an academic question, so you ought to be able to handle that. So John wrote John. Amen. Can you handle that? Can you say amen to that? Yeah, I like Cajun stories. And there's a Cajun that was uh, maybe after an LSU game. He was going across. Uh, cemetery, cutting across the cemetery, and as he cut across the cemetery, he's kind of inebriated. Can you imagine a Cajun being inebriated? But he was uh, going across the cemetery, and he fell into a freshly dug grave. And he tried to get out, and he couldn't get out. So about that time, another LSU fan came across the <laughs> cemetery. He fell in the other end of the grave, and it was dark, and you couldn't see in there. So he tried to get out, and he couldn't get out. So Finally, the one at the other end says, you can't get out of here. And, but he did. Amen. The other guy did. And you probably heard that story several, several, several times. But how can you make your way out of a grave? That's a tough, tough place to be. And how many of you have been there when you've walked out of the cemetery and you placed your loved one in a grave? And you hope to see him again. And many of us have been there with our family and with our friends and with different people. And that's a hard thing to do is walk out of that cemetery. Well, here's a story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave. And Jesus, this story of Jesus raising Lazarus, John had noticed that they had been omitted by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he wanted to make sure that it was in there. Not only was it in there, but also the story of behind it and what all the principles can be understood. And because uh, Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave would mean that Jesus would have to go in the grave a couple of months later as he was on a hill called Mount Calvary. And they took him down from that cross and they placed him in a tomb and they put the stone over the tomb just like the stone had been over Lazarus. And it looked like the end of the story. And if that's all there is, if that's the end of the story, then we don't have any hope. But just like he called Lazarus out of the tomb, so he calls us. And it's called individual eschatology. There's a time that God will call us and he will take us home. And then he'll bring us back. And we'll have a brand new body one of these days. And I'm looking forward to that. I don't want to take any more pills and I don't want to take any of that stuff and have the pain that goes along with it but in heaven there are no tears 
and there is no pain. One guy asked me one time, he said, if you hit your hand in heaven, if you hit your finger in heaven with a hammer, would you have a bad word to say? And you just ponder that for the rest of the time that we're here today. And, uh, but the promise is you can hit your hand all you want to, but there won't be any pain. Amen? There is no Tylenol in heaven, and I thank God for that. There's no whatever you want to do for your pain situation. There is no painkiller uh, pain there because there is no pain. But it's a place that has a lot of mystery. It's a place that God has prepared for us. And one of these days, he's coming to receive us into his place. Unless, unless he comes back first. Now, one of my favorite fishing places is at Fort Morgan. I like to go to Fort Morgan as you, as a little uh, beach place down there. It's where the where uh, Mobile Bay comes into the Gulf there, and it's all kinds of fish there. There all kind of shrimp and all kind of crab and and redfish and speckled trout and all kind of fish that are there. So it's a good place to fish. But there's only two asphalt trails that go down there. So you gotta get your car on those two trails. If you get your car off those trails into the sand, you just might as well leave it because you're not gonna you're just sit there and spin your wheel. And you go in there forward and you come out backwards. So it's kind of a hard way the deal. And there was one day that I was down there fishing and enjoyed a good day of fishing and came out. And when I came out, I got stuck on the side of that asphalt trail and you just, there's no place to go. So I went down to the gate and there was a lady at the gate and I said, I'm stuck up here. Can you, you tell me how to get out? She said, no, but there's a man down here that's on the oil rig, just got in from the oil rig. He's got this big truck that he can pull you out of there. So maybe if you go down and negotiate with him, he'll do that. So I went down and he said, sure, I'll pull you out. So he pulled me out in no time with that big truck that he had. And I tried to pay him. I offered him money to, so that he had helped me out. And he said this, um, just whenever you're, you're at the bar, buy somebody a beer and tell them it's on me. And I tried to tell him, wait a minute, I'm a Baptist priest, but he didn't stop and wait for that. He just drove off. So I've been trying to find a Baptist at a bar, and there are plenty of them, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so I have an unfulfilled obligation that kind of hangs over my head, so I may not ever fulfill that kind of obligation ever, ever again, but anyway... Um, that's the obligation I have. And all that to say that God has an unfulfilled obligation. But he started in the garden and he put man in the perfect situation. You couldn't be a more perfect situation. Gave him Eve as his wife and life was good and, and everything they could eat was there and, and chicken salad chick was there. Amen. They just opened up a chicken salad chick in Fairhope. And Susan has frequented that chicken salad chick. But it was, life was good. Everything was good. Two roots, not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's something about us that says, uh, don't do this, and you're just drawn to do it. 
And so Eve was drawn to do that. And God warned them that day, you shall surely die. But they kind of ignored that command and Eve took of the fruit and she gave it to Adam and he ate of the fruit. And their eyes were open and that knowing good and from evil and knowing good and for evil, you make up your own mind what's good and what's evil. But in that moment came death. And death came. And it was not an original part of the Garden of Eden. But it's been a part of this world ever since then. And thorns and thistles are in our world and pain for childbirth is in our world. But also there's this idea of death. But there was this promise. There was this promise that God gave in the middle of that broken situation in the garden. One of these days, there's coming one. And the promise was, it's coming one who would bruise the head of Satan and have an answer for our situation of sin and death. Until that time, we, the world had this. But now we've got an answer to it. And when Jesus on the cross, he screamed out and hollered out these words, It is finished! And he did it in a loud voice. God's payment for sin has been made, and it's yours to receive. It is finished. And his offer of salvation is to us. Not only that offer of salvation, but there's a promise of a place that he has prepared for us. And one of these days when we have taken our last breath and we have received Christ as our Savior, and one of these days he will take us to that place. And then he's coming back. And when he comes back one day, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who remain will also. Now, there's a lot of mystery in that, and it doesn't tell us everything, because the focus of our life is to be here and now, and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to not only those around us, but the generations that will follow us, until one of these days, he comes back again. Now, there are seven signs that Jesus did, but there are three, three signs that Jesus did in raising of the dead. And you remember these stories, those of you who have already read about this and heard about this, was Jairus. Jairus had a daughter who was 12 years old. And the burden of his heart was to get Jesus to come to his daughter. And so he, he encouraged Jesus to be there. And Jesus came into the room, and there were all these mourners where she had passed away. And he kicked the mourners out. And with Peter, James, and John, he reached down his hand to this 12-year-old who was a dead body. And he said, little girl, get up. And that had to have been a miraculous kind of moment. How do you feel at those times? And this 12-year-old little girl got up. Another time, he was coming into a city called Nain, and as he came into that city of Nain, there was this funeral procession that was coming out of the city. And as he and his disciples were walking into the city, there was a widow, and the widow's only son had passed away, and they were carrying him around on that bier, that kind of um, um, carrying part that they were carrying him around. And so as they passed, something about Jesus, the word said his compassion went out. 
He connected with that widow and somehow connected with that situation. And he had the funeral procession to stop. And as he stopped that funeral procession, he reached up, touched the man. Then all of a sudden he came back to life. No explanation. And it says he gave him back to his mother. That had to have been an awesome moment. Just think about if you were one of the pallbearers and you were carrying this casket and all of a sudden the casket opened and the guy jumps out. Man, it would have been a great revival there. Don't you think so? They would have gotten the church budget in one shot. Man, there would have been people that were giving, please take my money, take my money. And then this time with Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Now, if you look back at, at chapter 11, you see how things got started. So let's look back at chapter 11. Uh, we've already seen how Jesus had, uh, made the water into wine. That was obviously an Episcopal wedding, amen, when he paid the water into wine. It would have been grape juice at a Baptist uh, kind of wedding. Um, he brought the government's son back. He was almost to the point of death, and he brought him back. He, he um, fed the 5,000. He walked on water. All these are the acts that he did. Last week we saw where he restored the sight to the blind. Nobody in all the history of the Bible restored um, sight to the blind. Only Jesus could do that as God's son. And so he restored the sight to the man, told him to go down to the pool and wash, and he came back seeing. And blind man was made to see. He'd been blind since his birth. Now we come to Lazarus. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 1. It tells us that there was a certain man who was sick and he was kind of had some kind of disease, maybe pneumonia, that he was sick unto death. His name was Lazarus, and he lived in Bethany with the town of Mary and, his, and her sister Martha. Um, I am um, right now, my uh, sister-in-law is, um, we're taking care of her. She had uh, hip surgery. Uh, this past week, and so we're taking care of her. And I watched the uh, Susan and her sister go back and forth. It's interesting to see all that back and forth. And she's the older sister, Susan's the younger sister. So it's the older sister that tells the younger sister what to do. Amen? I mean, you've been there and you know how that goes. Okay, so Mary and Martha, we've already introduced to Mary and Martha. And, when they entertain Jesus, and Martha's the one's always going and doing, she is kind of an outgoing personality, and she has this huge bossiness in the middle of who, where she is, and she likes being boss. She'll tell you what to do. She'll not only hint what to do, she will tell you what you need to do. That's what Martha was. Mary was kind of quiet. Mary was a different personality, and two sisters could be so different. And Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and she listened to every word. Martha was irritated by all that, and she, she's, she didn't mind telling Jesus what he ought to do. Tell my sister what she ought to do. And now we see the sisters again, and they're at their home, and, and Lazarus, their brother, is sick, and they know that it's a tough situation that he's sick. 
So he tells us in verse 2 that later on it's going to be Mary who will anoint the feet of Jesus in front of the group that's there gathered for Lazarus and, and uh, supper they had to celebrate. So he tells us that it's Mary is going to do all that on her when she broke in the middle of a group which was so out of character with Mary. But she loved the Lord so much that she did that. So it's kind of a fast forward about that. But the sisters send word in verse 3 to Jesus. Lord, behold, the one you love is sick. And tell him what to do. Just tell him, Lord, the one you love is very sick. So Jesus said, uh, sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified, and the Son of God is going to be glorified in it. For Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and also he loved Matthew. So when he heard, therefore, that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there for two days. Why? Have you ever asked the Lord for something? And you seem so, he seems so far away. Have you ever prayed for God to make a difference in the moment in that situation? And there seemed to be no answer. And you wonder, where's God in this situation? Why didn't he answer me? Why didn't he answer my prayer? He didn't seem to answer my prayer. Because God's timing is God's timing and not mine and your timing. And there are times that we wish God would do something. We wish God would make a difference here. And it's on, not on our timetable, but it's on his timetable. And in the waiting room of life, sometimes God builds our, our faith. Or we let other things destroy our faith in the middle of that moment. And it's a tough place to be. We, you said if we ask anything in your name, then you would do it. Well, why wasn't you here? Why didn't this happen? And the psalmist, you read through the psalms, and you will see the psalmist asking God for, why wasn't you there? And he waited two days because the timing wasn't right. God's time is always God's time. It's not always my time and your time, but it's always God's time. And in the middle of that, he calls us to hold on to him and to find him in our moment, even like it looks like he is not there. Um, I read about a guy who asked this girl to marry him, and he asked her at her mother's funeral. <laughs> a sensitive guy, and he but he asked her because uh, her mother didn't like him, so he thought that was the right time <laughs> to ask. <laughs> and she said no. <laughs> and I can imagine why she said no. And he said, I thought it was the right time. But it's not always the right time. It's our time sometimes, but it's not always God's time. And when God says that, or when Christ says it, it's going to be glorified, 
then you know it's going to be glorified. And you just trust. And like our song that we sung tonight, today, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, finally, after Lazarus had been dead for four days, Jesus shows up in Bethany outside of um, Jerusalem. And he shows up there, even though there's a price on his head, and the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews are out to get him. And eventually, they're going to put him on the cross. So there's a price on his head. And as he comes into Bethany, he comes anyway, Thomas said, we'll follow you, Lord, wherever you go. But then when Jesus was placed on the cross, they all ran away. It's one thing to make a statement. It's another thing to follow that statement through. It's one thing to say, Lord, I'll follow you. But then when tough times come and things kind of fold, we have a way of running away. And so that's what happened to Thomas and the disciples. They said, we will follow you wherever you go. But then when push came to shove, they disappeared, all but John. And John was the only disciple who was at the cross. But as he comes to Bethany, he um, and said many of the Jews followed him. But as he comes to Bethany, he talks to Martha. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 20. And he's outside, probably two miles outside uh, the cemetery. And he gets there. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. Isn't that like Martha? Martha's not the one to sit and think about things. She's the one to get out there and get them done. So she went to see him and meet him. But Mary sat at the house. And I think Mary is going, sometimes in grief you get so angry. That anger kind of just sits there. And the question they're going to ask is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Martha seems to handle that a little better than Mary does. Mary's hurt deeply, and she, she feels deeply. And when she feels deeply, then that hurt kind of goes down deep. And it's hard to process things as they go through. Verse 21, we read that, but listen to that. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then she knows kind of flippantly, but I know that all you got to do is ask the Lord and it will come to pass. So Jesus tells her the grace words, and if you don't have these underlined in your Bible, I hope you will underline them. I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believes in me Though he were dead, yet shall he live. That seems to be a contradiction of terms. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks in Mary and he, uh, Martha and he says, do you understand this? He didn't say that. He said, do you trust this? Do you believe this? Because a lot of things the Lord does, I don't understand. And I have a PhD in New Testament. And there's still things that I'm trying to process and put together. But life sends us those kind of experiences. One thing to believe them in your head, it's another thing to put them in your heart. Do you believe this? 
And she said, yes, Lord, I believe. And she says three things about Jesus there, that you're the Christ, that is the one sent by God, the Messiah, that's the word. You're the son of God. He's not a good man who came to God, but he's a good God who came to man. Who shall come into this world? So three things about Jesus. He says good things. And it's a difference between saying I'll do and move. Did that go past you? I just want to get your attention every now and then. <laughs> I do is one thing. Moo is nothing. You ever heard? I see you every now and then say, mmm, 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 mmm. That's what I need to do. Mmm, mmm. And one of these days I plan on doing that. Mmm, mmm, mmm. There's one thing to say I do, it's another thing to say I moo. And we can put that in the mooing category and say, yeah, I plan on doing that one of these days. And, she, and after she had said that, she went to see her sister Mary. And Mary was struggling. I don't know if Mary didn't want to go to see Jesus. Because when she got to see him, there was a crowd that went with him. And when they, she got there with him and said, Lord, if you'd just been here, I wanted you here. And you were not here. And several years ago, I went to see a guy's wife had just passed away and had fought cancer for five years. They'd gone over to Sweden and different places to get treatment for her. And they, they would think together how they were going to use her being made well to be a testimony for everybody. They were solid Christians and solid in their belief. And when she died, it was a tough blow for him because he just expected the Lord to come and do something very special, but it didn't happen like he expected it was going to happen. And so I, I held his hand and I said, Jim, uh, let's pray together. He said, I don't want to pray. I'm hurt. And I want the Lord there. And I put my arm around his shoulder and said, man, I understand. I don't understand everything because that's a deeper loss than I've ever had. But I'm going to pray for you. And I know that you're trying to process this. And it's hard to process it. Because she expected the Lord to be there. And this is what scripture said. You have faith. You believe. Don't know where this is going. You don't know how it all happened. You don't know why he wasn't there. Probably he, he more like he was there. You just didn't see him. But it didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. And that's such a deep, deep hurt. So Jesus goes to the grave, and when he gets to the grave, there's a group that's following him there, and he prays to the Father, and he said, remove the stone. And he said, remove the stone is the same way that they're going to remove his stone, and he's not going to be there. But they said, remove the stone. And when they removed the stone, Martha kind of corrected him 
and said, he's been in there for four days. You're just kind of, it's like the idea of you're making a mockery of this is happening. And Jesus said, wait and see. And so when the man was standing there and the stone was rolled away, Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. I started to get somebody who would bind him and have him jump up and down up here on the podium. That had been an awesome moment. And there have been so many funerals that I have been to that I wish I could have the voice of Jesus and could speak to that coffin. But until then, I believe he's there. I believe he's got a plan. And I believe he will be very close to us and nothing can separate us from God's love. Um, one day in, in my office, uh, there was a man who came by to see me. And when he came by to see me, he was very good in sawmill business. In fact, he, he had retired from the sawmill business, but he had this gift. I mean, he never had an engineering degree, but he grew up around sawmills. And, and people would always uh, have him to come and tell them why their sawmill kind of broke down, where it broke down. He had that ability to say, here's the problem, here's the way to fix it, here's to get it done. And they would pay large amounts of money for him to do that. And he said, uh, Dr. Henry, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. So he sat down and he asked me, he said, have you ever seen Jesus? And I, I've never seen Jesus. And the physical presence of Jesus. I've, I've seen where he's been there. I felt his presence when, when something happened that I felt the Lord's presence. Sometimes in my quiet time, I can really feel God's presence with me. Sometimes when delivering a sermon, God can, I can really feel his presence with me. When my grandchildren hold me and tell me they love you, love you, granddaddy, then I, and I give them $5 and they always like that. So I'm not sure they love me. I think they... <laughs> But I'll keep doing it. Uh, when my granddaughters paint my toenails, I feel, oh, no, no, not really. I'm so scared I'm going to have a wreck, and they're going to take me to the emergency room and see my painted toenails, and they're going to wonder what kind of person have they got there, you know. But I really do. I feel God's presence. But I've never seen him. He told me, he said, he had a heart attack, and the heart attack was really bad, and and he was on a gurney in the, in, the, in the emergency room. And he said, all of a sudden, I was above my body. And I could see him down there working on my body. But I saw the Lord. And I felt his presence. And I have never felt so like I felt at that moment. It was just, I can't describe it. And I wish I could tell you, but you just have to experience his presence one of these days like I experienced. And then all of a sudden the Lord pointed me back and all of a sudden I found myself back in my body again. 
but I have never been afraid of death ever since. What he promises, he always fulfills. We don't, we don't judge his love by our circumstances, but our circumstances by his love. I'll never leave you and never forsake you, even when we don't feel it. Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to hear and feel God's presence today. We may not see him, but we see the promises that are there. We've seen how he's worked with others. We all have the examples before them, for us, of people who have held on to the Lord through difficult situations and found that he held them while they were holding him. So I know, hope you know Christ is your Savior. Today is a good day to make that decision. I hope you're part of a church that is, is uh, shining for Christ in the middle of community, and both those available uh, at this church. But where's your place? Maybe you're like Martha and you can handle it, and it's kind of, kind of a way you've risen to the occasion and you handle it. Maybe there's some kind of hurt way back there like Mary that you're having a hard time processing. And you expected the Lord to be there at some place. And he just felt like it wasn't. And you expected this. And you got that. And sometimes that anger can work its way out of our lives in so many places. And we can become bitter persons rather than better persons. He raised Lazarus, he can raise me, and he can raise you. And he can restore life to dead places because life has a way of killing us down deep inside. So just let him just speak to you this morning before we have our invitation. Where's a place that you need for him to speak to you this morning? Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for your word. I thank you how you raised Lazarus. Thank you for the times that I've placed my parents and Susan's parents in your hands and know that one of these days we'll see them again. Thank you for that solid promise. Thank you for a place that you prepared for them. And many in this room, they've placed their parents in your hands or placed their loved ones in your hands. Thank you for that hope in Jesus Christ, that you are the resurrection and the life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.